Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is, I'm Dave Crouch. This is Policy Talks, uh, and it's a special edition. Uh, the show is produced by the Williamson, Inc., our county chamber of commerce in Williamson County, and we're doing it virtually again today. The special edition is uh, specifically to uh, get to know a little bit more about the uh, COVID, coronavirus, the COVID-19 uh, effects on our state and um, and how we are reopening the state. Um, and uh, I should have welcomed our guests from uh, WCTV Channel 3 and WAKM 950. So uh, welcome audience. Our special guest this morning is uh, Tennessee Senator Jack Johnson. He uh, represents uh, Williamson County and the and which is the 23rd district. He um, also is the majority leader in our state Senate. And the more uh, relevant uh, assignment he's got right now that uh, we want to find out more about is he's a member of Governor Lee's Economic Recovery Group. Uh, Jack, tell us what the Economic Recovery Group is and uh, who's on it and, and what your purpose is. Sure, Dave. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good to be back with you and appreciate everyone taking some time to join us to find out what all's going on, not only in Williamson County, but across the state in uh, relative to our efforts to mitigate co the COVID-19 outbreak, as well as uh, try to get our economy back going again. I know everyone is, is anxious to do that. Uh, the Economic Recovery Group was uh, a, a task force effectively that was set up by Governor Lee and his staff to bring in business leaders from across the state uh, and healthcare experts to provide guidance on how businesses can safely reopen. Uh, when I say safely, that means to protect the employees of the business as well as customers who may be patronizing uh, those, those businesses. And, uh, and when I say business leaders from across the state, that's exactly what I mean. Representatives from the retail association, the hospital association, uh, just about every area of the economy that you can think of. Because when you think about our economy and how diverse it is, obviously different businesses have different needs. And especially in this new world of dealing with COVID-19 uh, and, and providing proper safety precautions, every business is gonna be a little bit different. Um, one example is uh, restaurants, which opened up uh, this week on Monday at 50% capacity. Uh, they certainly have a different um, scenario, different situation in terms of customer employee interactions when you're talking about waitresses and hostesses and waiters and that type of thing, and how you seat customers in the restaurant and that type of guidance. That's gonna be different than say a, a large office building in Cool Springs, where there's very little customer interaction, but you do have a lot of employees. And so how can you safely get those people back in, in the workforce? So this, this group has worked very, very quickly because it was just set up a couple of weeks ago uh, by Governor Lee. And so there've been many, many meetings, many hours of discussions with healthcare officials and business leaders on how best these businesses can open. And so as if, if you've been following Governor Lee's press conferences and his executive orders that have been issued, you know, that we are doing a, a gradual reopening of the economy, both in terms of the, the types of businesses that can open, 
the capacity at which they can open, and then the safety precautions that they need to use in order to open. So the restaurants opened on Monday at 50% capacity and they have a certain set of guidelines. Uh, small retail opened up on Wednesday. When I say opened up, that means they're permitted to open up. No one is forced to open up. If it's a business owner that doesn't want to or doesn't feel safe in opening, that they're not mandated to open, but they're allowed to open. And, uh, and today, uh, Friday, um, um, elective medical procedures can resume, which is important. Uh, today, also gyms can open up. Uh, and we can go through some of the various safety guidance that, that, that apply to these different industries. And on Wednesday of next week, your close contact uh, type businesses, that's hair salons, barber shops, nail salons, will be able to open up as well. We're also dentists. Uh, that's another important uh, sector of the economy. People need to see their dentists, get their teeth cleaned. If you've got a, nothing worse than having a sore tooth, if you need it fixed, you need to be able to get it fixed. So they'll be able to open up next week as well. So it's a comprehensive group with a lot of work going on, but a lot of good work. And, and last thing I'll say on that, Dave, is we want people to be safe when they're in the the economy when they're when they're patronizing businesses but we also want them to have a degree of confidence they want we want tennesseans to know that hey this is not willy-nilly we're just opening the doors just go in like just like things were before the the outbreak things are different and they'll need to be different for some time but we believe that most businesses can operate can operate safely people can get back to work um, if they follow these guidelines now um you know, we've heard in the news about the uh, the severe problem that some of the nursing homes and uh, assisted living facilities are having, and and so you know that's an obvious uh, place where you know we need to be extra extra cautious about how to uh, uh, deal with those kind of facilities. Are there any other areas, any other businesses that have been a particular problem? Uh, as far as tracking the virus and, and where it came from, Jack. Yeah. Uh, so you're, with your long-term care facilities, that's that's an excellent point. And in fact, I, I hope that uh, most of the people watching were able to see our governor uh, standing side by side with the president of the United States in Washington at the White House yesterday. Uh, governor Lee made an appearance with President Trump at the White House uh, during uh, his press conference uh, yesterday. And they were talking specifically about the vulnerable population. And this is something you're going to hear a lot about uh, in, in the coming weeks and months is protecting. One of the things we know about this virus, according to the healthcare experts, is that it is, it is a greater risk to those who are older and those who have underlying health conditions. So when you talk about a long-term care facility, that's, that's, that can be a recipe for disaster there because obviously the, the, the residents there are going to skew older and uh, be more susceptible to, to health care issues. And in fact, if you look at states like New York that have been hit really hard by this virus, a significant number of the cases that have affected New York and other densely populated areas are in nursing homes. They're in those long-term care facilities. So uh, when you look at the White House guidance uh, under Opening America, you can view that at whitehouse.gov whitehouse slash Opening America. And you'll see the three-phase approach to opening it up, to opening up uh, economies. And that's dictated by number of cases, case rate, hospitalizations, 
uh, fatality rate, number of tests that are performed, but more importantly, of those tests that are performed, how many of them are positive. And, and one of the last things, unfortunately, and we hate it for our, our loved ones that are in long-term care facilities, but one of the last areas that will be opened up will be those long-term care facilities. Other than that, outside of that, where you've got that, you've got people that are in close proximity in a long-term care facility and they're the vulnerable population. So that's, that's an area of specific concern and something we're gonna have to watch very, very closely. Other than that, our concerns are obviously your close contact type businesses. What we know about this virus is, is if you can stay six feet away from someone or from other people, uh, you, you enhance your, your safety significantly and your risk of contracting the virus goes down uh, significantly. Um, it's hard to get your hair cut or to get your fingernails done <clears throat> with someone who's six feet away from you. So that's why we refer to those as close contact businesses. And so that's an area that's that we're going, we want to get them open and we're going to next week, but we have to make sure that they have PPE, the, the personal protective equipment. If you uh, go to get your hair cut or your nails done, you're probably going to be asked to wear a mask and the person who is performing those services will be wearing a mask and perhaps even a gown and gloves. I was wondering about that. I noticed that in the guidelines and uh, uh, I don't know if she can do a good job cutting hair with a mask around my, <laughs> my head. I'll have to see that to understand how that's gonna work. But yeah, we'll, we'll, well, we'll have to get creative about it. Well, uh, no one needs a haircut worse than I do right now, but uh, looking forward to that. Jack, you've got uh, a lot of uh, information on how this virus is affecting the state. Let's circle back and look at that just a minute. Uh, and tell us, as part of the the economic recovery group, what uh, information you're seeing as far as how, how it's affecting our state, both uh, uh, from a personal uh, um, health standpoint as well as an economic standpoint. Sure, I'd be glad to. And I do have a couple of uh, slides I'll share with you here, Dave. Um, let me, and I'm trying to get better about this Zoom stuff here. So I beg everyone's patience. Um, the one I wanted to show you here, are you able to see this, Dave? It, it looks good, Jack, yes. Okay, great. So <clears throat> this kind of gives you a, a, an overview here statewide of where we are as a state, some, some critical information. You see here that our, our total confirmed cases, 10,735, we've had 199 fatalities. By the way, this is this information is current as of 3 p.m. yesterday. Had just over a thousand uh, hospitalizations. Uh, roughly 50% of the people documented cases that we know of that have tested positive that we've tracked have recovered. And so that's that's a good good figure there. And hopefully that number will continue to climb, not only in terms of the raw number, but as a percentage of the total cases there. Right. Tennessee, and if you saw Governor Lee yesterday in Washington with the president, Tennessee really has been a leader, excuse me, in terms of testing. We have performed 177,000 tests of that 10,735, as I mentioned earlier, have, been, have tested uh, positive. Uh, almost 167,000 of those have tested negative. Now, this whole issue about the economy and, and, and the stay-at-home orders was all about flattening the curve. And <clears throat> that's important because um, of our hospital capacity. We wanted to make sure for those serious cases, we had adequate hospital uh, capacity. And you can see 
Uh, 31% of our hospital beds are available now. Uh, we've got uh, 572 out of almost 2,000 ICU beds that, that are available as well. And our ventilator capacity is in, is in really good shape. Um, this statewide map is interesting to me because it shows the, the cases by county and that the dark purple are where you have the highest number of cases. Now, this is not as a percentage of overall population. This is, these are, but these are raw numbers. Obviously, you see uh, Shelby County with over 2,500, uh, Davidson County over 2,600 uh, cases. Those are the, the highest number of cases. Stands to reason you've got the most people there, the highest uh, population. Uh, Williamson County is in the dark purple. We're one of the higher uh, number of case rates uh, at 411 cases. Mm -hmm. That's more than, uh, than Hamilton County or Knox County, which have uh, greater populations, but, uh, but still um, pr pretty high for, for, for Williamson County. <clears throat> so, uh, and obviously the areas shaded in, in the lighter, whiter colors are, are the fewer and they're gonna be the smaller uh, populations, more rural uh, type counties. Now, another uh, slide I wanna show you, Dave, is, and bear with me here, I'm gonna need to scroll this down. This gives you an idea of kind of the impact, as you said, and you phrased it perfectly. When we think about COVID-19 and the effect on Tennessee, um, we, we think about it in, in two ways. First and foremost is the medical side, the health and safety of, of Tennesseans and the number of cases, do we have adequate hospital uh, capacity and so forth. But we also have to think about the economic impact and, and to say it's been devastating is not an overstatement. It, it, it has been devastating to, to our economy and that's why it's important that we get our economy open back up. So we've had 413,000 unemployment claims uh, since March 1st, uh, which is by any metric uh, historic. It's, it's just off the charts in terms of the number of unemployment claims. We estimate uh, right now that our unemployment rate is somewhere between 15 and 20% in the state of Tennessee. Uh, we've had 15% of all Tennessee workers that have filed unemployment. We, we uh, and again, these numbers are, are estimates as the data comes in, sales tax collections and so forth, we'll get, we'll be able to nail these down more, but the estimate right now is $870 million in net sales uh, to Tennessee retailers, which is staggering and 53% uh, fewer new business uh, applications. The big number here at the bottom uh, is the loss to our Tennessee GDP, our gross domestic product, we estimate to be at $5 billion. Wow. And we'll, I'm, we'll talk probably uh, in a moment, I'm sure, about uh, the General Assembly and our state budget and what we will be doing when we resume our legislative session on June 1st, but we are estimating the uh, the impact to our state sales uh, tax collections, revenue collections. Well, it's F&E, franchise and excise tax collections too, because they'll be down somewhere between 700 billion and 1.5 billion between the current fiscal year and projections into the next fiscal year. So no other way to say it, Dave, but it's uh, it's pretty bad. It, uh, nothing that we've seen uh, in my lifetime, certainly. And uh, it uh, it's, it's staggering to uh, to see those numbers. Uh, obviously, it's it's very important to get the state back to work, and uh, the reopening schedule. Let's talk about that uh, a little bit and, and how it's staged. Uh, the restaurants uh, this past Monday uh, were able to go back to work. Uh, 
50% capacity, and that's 50%, I think, of the uh, fire marshal's approved capacity. Is that correct? That That is correct. Yeah, that's that's how you, uh, most every business that's open to the public has some type of uh, fire marshal capacity that's, that's, that's publicly displayed, or certainly the business owner will know what that number is. And so that's how they can formulate and arrive at the 50% number. And all the employees are wearing a uh, mask of some, some type. And, uh, uh, but the customers there uh, do not have to wear a mask, I, I think. So. That's right. And, and uh, I've got the guidance here. We can go into specifics if you want. But generally speaking, you should see tables uh, six feet apart. Um, you should see um, no more than six people at any given table. Um, there, it might be a little unusual when you go into a restaurant, when you sit down, there should not be a, a ketchup bottle or salt and pepper shakers or any type of condiments there that, that people touch. Uh, you, you can get those, but the, but the restaurant will bring those to you uh, after they've been wiped down and sanitized after the last use. So those are the types of things that are going to be what we kind of refer to as the new normal for, for a while. Uh, no buffets. Uh, kind of stands to reason with that. Uh, your waiting areas, uh, if it's a popular restaurant, uh, they're not going to allow you to, to congregate. I know you've probably been there too, and you're, you're standing in the little alcove there waiting for them to call your name for your table, and, and it's very crowded, so people are going to need to disperse, and uh, if you're waiting on a table, it'll probably be outside, and you need to be at least six feet away from anyone else. All right. Now, retailers, you mentioned, uh, you said small retailers. Um, went back to work on Wednesday. What uh, what does that not include, and what does it include? Yeah, and I, I don't know if that I should have said small. What I, as most people know, your your larger box stores, uh, Walmart, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, those types of stores have been open. They were deemed as essential. Um, so I, I think of the the mom and pop businesses. Those are the ones who have been hit so hard by this. Right. Um, it's, but, but, but it's a fair point. Uh, I think you saw where, um, and I don't remember the exact date. I think cool Springs Galleria will be reopening. That's, that's not a small, uh, store, but it's, it's been closed. And so it can reopen as well, but, uh, no disrespect to the larger companies. It's just, I've heard from so many and I know how hard this has hit us, our businesses. So I'm just really excited to see them get opened back up. I, I know uh, my wife, Tammy, has uh, already made two trips to Hobby Lobby since uh, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, both. So she's excited. And uh, I know uh, the, the businesses themselves are excited to, to be able to start uh, bringing some revenue back in, I'm sure. Yeah. The, uh, okay. And today, uh, the elective surgeries, the gyms, the fitness centers, the um, uh, help me out. Uh, what else is happening as of today? That that's that's pretty that pretty much covers it for today and the next week uh, on the sixth, which I believe is Wednesday, uh, is when the close contact businesses can open, and that's hair salons, barber shops, nail salons, uh, those types of uh, those types of businesses will be next week, and the guidance for those. Um, was released yesterday. We've got that. It's 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 available on the, the state website, and so that's what's kind of dictating this process. And again, it may seem a little bit confusing, but the the purpose of the economic recovery group 
was to formulate that guidance. We want consistent, clear guidance for those employers and those businesses that are that are opening back up. So what you, you've kind of seen, it's coming phases is the guidance will be released as was yesterday for those close contact businesses because they need to prepare, right? They need right. to make sure that they have whatever they're gonna need in terms of PPE or other materials, uh, make sure they have their processes in place. One thing you'll see in the guidance when you look at it is that every business needs to have what they refer to as kind of a COVID-19 coordinator, someone who's responsible at that place of business for making sure that the guidance is being adhered to. And that's, again, cleaning uh, high touch areas, um, um, you know, wiping things down, disinfecting, and, uh, and then making sure that PPE is used as necessary. Basically policing and, and making sure the business is following the rules. Exactly. That's that uh, that makes sense, and then uh, next Wednesday the barbershops, salons, and uh, as you put it, high touch high touch businesses. What um, I haven't heard mentioned uh, on a schedule of any kind are the entertainment venues, the the bowling alleys, the sporting event uh, venues, theaters, auditoriums, uh, certainly amusement parks, uh, things like that. Do we have an idea of what uh, what has to happen before they can reopen, Jack? Yeah. So, on interestingly, that the economic recovery group, the ERG, is being headed by uh, Mark Ezel, uh, who is commissioner of of tourist development for the state. So it's certainly a something that's very dear to his heart. Tourism is such an important part of our of our economy, our industry, and it is amusement parks. It's um, museums, it's tourist attractions, things like that. Everything from Dollywood and in, uh, in, in East Tennessee to Graceland and, and Memphis. Um, to the Williamson and, County Fair, I might add. At Williams County Fair, the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a huge part of our our economy. Those are the most difficult areas to come up with the guidance. I mean, how do you open a Dollywood? and uh or you know a grand Ole opry and keep people six feet apart you can't you can't have four thousand people go to the grand Ole opry probably and, and have some you know hand out a mask to everyone who goes in so so that those will get open and they're certainly a priority the erg and and people who represent those types of industries are part of the erg they're part of the smaller working groups that are working hard to come up with how do you do it and what's needed in order to do it. And, and, and then the other critical part of that is, is are we continuing to flatten the curve or the number of cases continuing to go down? Right. And then ultimately, of course, we're, we know that our pharmaceutical industry is working hard on, on treatments and, and ultimately a vaccine. And so we will get there. Uh, but those, unfortunately, uh, those, types of businesses where you have large numbers of people, be it uh, sporting events, concerts, uh, amusement parks, things like that, they're going to be the most difficult, but they're, but we certainly recognize how important they are to our economy. And so we want to get them open. One thing that hasn't been mentioned in, and uh, I did see a, a note about it in the Tennessean, but uh, uh, the worship uh, churches, uh, places of worship, things like that, uh, according to uh, what I read, they actually have not ever been actually uh, told to stop uh, meeting it, but uh, I thought they had. Now, 
uh, clear that up for me, if you will. Yeah, so um, good news is on churches, worship, um, places of worship, is you're going to see today some guidance come out. And, uh, and actually, they, they were under the order to, to meet remotely or to do it virtually to hold their, their services. Um, uh, good news is, is there will be some guidance that will come out today and churches will be allowed to resume, uh, in-person worship services, uh, this weekend actually. Uh, but it will be with some, some pretty strict guidance in terms of, uh, you know, socially distancing and, and that types of thing, that type of thing. And I know it's for, for, I've got lots of calls. Uh, I miss going to church. It's uh, it's an important part of our of our existence, and you know we love to get together and congregate and worship together. And so it'll be good to to get those churches open back up. So you'll see more about that today. Governor will have a press conference this afternoon uh, and release uh, guidance on worship services today. So a little breaking news there. Right. Good. Uh, the um, just an FYI, I did also see in the paper this morning that Disney uh, is obviously for obvious reasons is uh, going to great lengths to come up with uh, safety procedures to handle at their theme parks. So that'll be a, a an interesting process to watch because we know they will uh, uh, be ex extra cautious at uh, trying to make sure their parks are safe and, and we can. Uh, kind of observe what they do and, and possibly uh, learn some lessons from them. Uh, business liability issues. Uh, Jack, uh, you work for Tackle. Uh, your employees or your work, your, I guess, contractors go into people's homes in many cases. Uh, how are y'all dealing with the, the possibility of going back to work? And how do you expect that to work? Uh, what uh, are you watching as far as business liability? And sure. So well, from, from the state standpoint, it is, it's a very important issue. And in fact, there was a link, we had an ERG meeting call yesterday. Um, and there was significant conversation about liability protection. And uh, groups like uh, NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businesses, Tennessee Chamber, uh, which Williamson Inc. Is, is a part of, and uh, other business-related groups are, are certainly concerned about that um, because, you know, if they're adhering to the guidance, if they're doing everything properly and safely according to the governor's executive orders and what the ERG has, has come down with, they should have some degree of protection um, from frivolous lawsuits, right? Yep. And, and it's this it's this tort reform kind of conversation that we have a lot and have had over many years about, you know, certainly protecting someone's right to sue if they are legitimately aggrieved and, and someone is not following either the law or the guidance and so forth. But at the same time, preventing unnecessary frivolous lawsuits, which can be devastating and financially and otherwise very expensive to to businesses, small and large. So I don't have an answer for you as to what will be done other than to say that conversation is taking place. I don't think you'll see blanket uh, immunity across the board relative to, to COVID because again, it's important that these businesses understand the importance of these safety guidelines. 
And it's important that the consumers understand those guidelines as well. Mm -hmm. If you show up to a restaurant and you go in and the tables are crammed together and people are on top of one another, the wait staff is not wearing PPE and you see condiments on the table, well, they're not adhering to the guidelines, right? And so certainly we need accountability, but at the same time, anyone who's owned and operated a business, and I have, uh, you do worry about that liability and that protection. And because you may, you want to do everything right, you want to adhere to those guidelines, and you're trying very hard to do so. Uh, and if, if you know, something happens, you want to know that you're not going to be getting sued, you know, frivolously. And so we resume on June 1st uh, with our legislative session. Committees will start the week prior to that. And so I think that conversation will, will take place. And, and we are talking about it both in the ERG with the governor's office and, and among legislative leaders as well. Uh, you're, uh, you mentioned legislative leaders and, and you are uh, now, uh, your, I guess your legislative assistants will be going back to work Monday. And uh, again, under very strict uh, sanitary guidelines, at the uh, state capitol, uh, specifically the uh, Cordell Hall building, I think is where most of your offices are. Tell us a little bit about uh, what is gonna be happening there with your uh, staffs and uh, when the, uh, the Senate and the House will be going back to work, um, how that uh, will, will stage out over the next uh, month or so. Sure. Well, just to remind everyone, so we started our legislative session as we always do in January on the second Tuesday, and we got off to a, to a great start and a robust agenda, and our finances are in excellent shape, and uh, the governor proposed a great budget, which as majority leader, I'm the sponsor of that budget, and so we had a lot of great things in the works for, for Tennessee, and then this happened, and so we had to literally stop in our tracks and recognize that uh, that we needed to go home. Uh, we we you know we're in violation of CDC guidelines just by being in session, and so we stopped everything and turned and focused on getting a budget passed because that's the only constitutional responsibility we have is to pass a budget, a balanced budget for the state. Our fiscal year ends on June 30. And so July 1, we need a new budget in place where government can't function. So we spent about a week uh, there. Uh, we took the, the budget that the governor had proposed in, in early February, pretty much threw it out the window, started over, and, and passed a budget that assumed no revenue growth. We had assumed about 3.5% revenue growth for the coming fiscal year and we knew that this if we're going to have to shut businesses down this is obviously going to impact our revenue collections so we stripped everything out of that budget pasted past a zero growth budget um, basically just taking what we collected last year and assuming that for the coming year right. and we got that passed so at least government could continue to function mm -hmm. and we recessed until june 1st and we didn't really know how long this was going to be we we kind of picked that date, uh, but I think it's going to work out pretty well. So we reconvene on June 1st on in, in chamber. So that's the House will meet in, in full set floor session and Senate will as well. Um, so what we've decided to do is we're going to come in the week prior, uh, just after Memorial Day, 
Memorial Day is on the 25th, that Monday. So on Tuesday, the 26th, prior to the June 1st reconvening and chamber, uh, committees are going to start to meet. Uh, we are going to exercise ex extreme precaution. Our, our facilities management teams at the Capitol and the Cordell Hall building are working to make sure they can keep things disinfected. We'll have uh, access to PPE uh, in committees. We can space out. We've got room. Uh, to make sure we're socially distancing there as to the best degree possible. Uh, so we'll be able to come in and resume. Uh, you mentioned our, our staff members are, are starting back in the office on Monday, again, under strict protocols in terms of staying uh, apart from one another and, and avoiding uh, high congregated areas and, uh, and disinfecting everything. It's important because there's a lot of work that goes into getting just ready for committees and legislative session. And uh, we do this every year, but you know, the work starts well in advance of us actually getting together uh, in committee and, and on the floor. So uh, our highest priority will be dealing with the budget. Unfortunately, that zero growth rate budget that we did pass for the coming fiscal year, I'm afraid it's going to have to be cut further. And so, as I mentioned earlier, where our, our estimates are now in terms of revenue uh, shortfalls or anywhere from around 700 million to about 1.5 billion. Uh, and I'm getting into the weeds here, but but we, we not only have to address the coming fiscal year budget, but the budget year that we're in right now has to balance. And we base our budget on projected revenues well, we didn't project a COVID-19 outbreak. And so the fourth quarter of our current fiscal year, which is April, May, June, that's when this is all hitting and our economy shut down. So we're gonna not we're gonna have a shortfall no, in, in, in our current fiscal year, as well as have to make cuts for the projected, for the coming fiscal year and our projected revenues there. So there's a lot of work to be done just dealing with the budget. Tennessee, we, our constitution requires we have a balanced budget and we will do that. The good news is, Dave, though, we came into this in the best economic condition we've ever been in. So we do have reserves. Um, we have very little debt. So unlike states like New York, New Jersey, Illinois, that we're in bad shape really coming into this and then this happens. So they're really in a bad spot. Tennessee was in a really good spot coming into this. So we'll be able to get through it. The, um, the rainy day fund, uh, as I recall, is of seven, $800 million. Uh, that's going to go pretty quick though. Um, yeah, actually, actually it's, it, we're at 1.45 billion in the rainy day fund. So okay. yeah, we were at 1.1 billion um, uh, through this, this current fiscal year. And we were going to put more money in had, had COVID-19 not happened. We were going to continue to build up that rainy day fund. We had reserves uh, from the last fiscal year of around 350 million. When we passed that zero growth budget before we recessed, we took that 350 million and just socked it into the rainy day fund as well. So that got us to 1.45 billion. Um, and there, there's some other reserves. There's 10 care reserves, which we, we have a, a good bit in 10 care reserves. And there's some other smaller reserve accounts. But we'll see how, how this impacts this fourth quarter, but our sales tax collections are down precipitously as, as might be imagined. So we might have to dip into those reserves a little bit to balance the current fiscal year, and then we'll make the cuts as necessary moving forward. Any idea where those cuts will come from? No, um, so we're already doing a number of things which are important. We've already implemented a hiring freeze. 
Uh, the governor has asked all agencies and departments across the board to stop spending, <laughs> you know, uh, be, be very, very uh, deliberative in terms of, of what you're spending money on. And so we call those reversions because they were budgeted an X amount of dollars to operate their, their department or their agency. And if they can come in under that, which we encourage them to do, unlike typically in government, they're, they're actually incentivized to, to spend everything they had. Uh, we don't, we, we like uh, agencies and departments to come in under budget. So we'll be able to recoup some of that money that have been budgeted to offset any shortfalls in the, in the coming year. So everything will be on the table. It'll just, it, it will have to be. Um, that includes uh, teacher raises, state employee raises. Um, good news is there's no discussion now of any furloughs or layoffs of state employees. All state employees, all teachers are, are being paid. And, uh, and, and hopefully that will be able to continue. That'll be a top priority. But uh, we had, even in our emergency budget, we had uh, money in there for, they weren't huge raises, but we did have some money in there for raises for state employees and teachers. Uh, we will have to take a look at that. I'm not saying there will be no raise or there will be a raise. I'm, I'm not making any declarations. It's just, those are the types of things that we may, that we'll have to take a real serious look at in order to make sure we keep a, a balanced budget. One other thing that uh, you may be looking at uh, as you come back into session are the fall elections. Uh, uh, elections involve a lot of uh, older folks uh, as far as the uh, poll workers, um, uh, a lot of older folks voting. And um, is that going to look uh, a lot different this fall when we have the presidential election and uh, all the associated uh, elections around that uh, at, at the same time? What what What's that going to look like? Yeah, great question. And bad enough that we had this and it's doing this to our economy but let's just add into it oh let's have an election as well including a presidential election and and our regular you know every two years state primaries in august um and you're right i think the average age of a poll worker in tennessee is about 68 and so our secretary of state and our coordinator of elections our secretary of state is trey hargett our coordinator of elections is mark goins uh they are on this um, they are having frequent calls with members of the General Assembly leadership, uh, mapping out their strategy and their plan to make sure that what, what we don't want to have happen, Dave, is we don't want someone to be disenfranchised because they're sick or they're concerned about getting sick. We want everyone to be able to vote. I mean, that's just uh, that's a core tenant of our country. And 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 we want people to be able to exercise their, their right to vote. So things that are being considered um, are, are allowing the Secretary of State to um, uh, recruit younger uh, poll workers, folks that are not as, as predominantly in that vulnerable population. Our poll workers are, are very important to, to the process, uh, expanding uh, the number of uh, polling places so that you have fewer people in a given polling place. Uh, we already have a fairly robust early voting schedule. And so, you know, I, I typically early vote when I go, I, there's usually not that many people there. So you can kind of space that out over time, which is, which is a good thing. Obviously usage of PPE is going to be important at the polling places. And, and, but the, probably the most critical thing is, is going to be uh, voting by mail and, and absentee T ballots under current law. Tennessee is what is referred to as 
an excuse state, meaning you can get an absentee ballot or you can vote by mail, but it has to be for a specific reason, either, uh, and by the way, it's blanket over age 60. So if you're over age 60, you can vote by mail. You, you can, you don't need any other reason. Uh, if you're disabled, if you are ill, um, if you have some other reason where that would preclude you from being able to go to the polling place, uh, then you can also vote by mail. So we'll be looking at that. We're not, I want to be very clear though, we're not going to go to blanket anyone can vote by mail. Voting by mail has been proven uh, to be ripe for potential fraud and abused, ballot harvesting, some things that, that have taken place in other states. And that's that gets a little political because some people on different sides have different ideas about that. We're going to try to strike that balance between making sure anyone who wants to vote can uh, if, if you have a reason that you can't get to a polling place, we will make sure we can accommodate you with an absentee ballot. Um, so it's, it's a big, big topic of conversation. I don't know at this point, and I don't think the Secretary of State would know definitively at this point with the Coordinator of Elections, if we're going to need to address anything in statute. The Secretary of State, Coordinator of Elections, uh, our local uh, election officials, they have a lot of authority to be able to do things that are right for their community. So we'll be talking with them, working with them. The Secretary of State is talking uh, frequently with all 95 counties and the local election administrators in Williamson County. Our, our own Chad Gray is, does a great job. We've got a great election commission in Williamson County, and I know they're on it. And if they identify any areas that we need to address in statute, we'll certainly take a look at those. But glad you brought it up. Very important. And it's not just the November election. We have August primaries, uh, our state primaries, and we have a U.S. Senate primary uh, that will be on the ballot in, uh, in August. So this is right around the corner. Early voting will be starting in July. So it's, it's not too far away. So we need to be thinking about these things, and we will. All right. Just uh, a few uh, odds and ends that I want to ask you about, Jack. The, uh, uh, the, the cities like Nashville and uh, Knoxville, Memphis have got different guidelines but because they have their own health department. Uh, just curious uh, aside, I thought Williamson County had a health department as well. Is that just a division of the state health department or yeah it gets it gets a little murky and I'm not sure I understand it altogether uh, we have a local health department but um, and, and it may be run by the county but it's still accountable to the state or something so okay. but 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 for, for purposes of, of COVID-19 you're you're right 89 counties the six counties are Davidson Shelby Madison Hamilton um, and Sullivan did I leave one out Anyway, the, the big four, and then you throw in Madison uh, County and, and Sullivan County in Upper East Tennessee. Right. So they, they are different. They're, they are those six. Although, interestingly, um, a couple of those, I, I think Knox may be one of them, or maybe Sullivan, uh, they have said that they are going to follow the other 89 counties, which they can certainly do. Right. But but they, they are being governed differently than the other 89. Now, uh Fair disclosure here. Been talking to Representative Sam Whitson a little bit, and Good. he He's tells me that uh, some of the uh, uh, businesses that are close to the county line with Davidson County are concerned that people that are not allowed to go to a restaurant in Davidson County are going to flood into Williamson County to go to our restaurants and our businesses here, uh, and, and possibly bring the, the virus down with them. 
Um, on the other side of the county line, the businesses up there are afraid that people get in the habit of coming down here so they won't go back to the businesses in Davidson County when they are allowed to open. Is the governor considering any uh, intervention there to, uh, to to take care of that? Uh, what what, uh, what advice do you have? Well, it's 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 a tough one because unfortunately we, we know the virus doesn't recognize county lines and municipal boundaries and, and that type of thing. <clears throat> we're not going to uh, we're not going to check IDs to come to a Williamson County restaurant to see if you live in Williamson County. Uh, so there, there probably will be some of that. My hope is that Nashville and, and I'm sure a lot of folks in Williams County are following Mayor Cooper's uh, press briefings and, and what they're doing in Nashville. It is a different dynamic there. You, I'm sure you'll have some of that bleed over over county lines and people will be coming down. If you, you know, if you can't get a haircut in, in, in Nashville, you might drive down to Williams County or to Rutherford County or Sumner County to get your haircut or, or to go to a restaurant and that will happen. I don't know that I don't see any way to police that or stop that. And, and it, no doubt, uh, uh, there, there is some unfairness there that, that, uh, that a business that could be a hundred yards away, but they're on the other side of a County line, they can't open. And the one on the other side of the County line can, I don't know how you, how you address that, but in terms of the people moving around patronizing businesses, well, in fact, that's what we want to happen, right? We want we want these businesses to open up and, and become successful again. Uh, but that's why this guidance, these safety guidelines are so important because whether you're from, from Nashville or Chattanooga or Memphis, you come to a restaurant in Williamson County, uh, the social distancing, the proper use of PPE, keeping things clean and wiped down, those, those are all so important to do. Uh, and hopefully before long, we'll have the whole state opened up, maybe at limited capacity, and that will be less of an issue. I can't tell you when Nashville will open up, um, but it will be later than, than Williamson and the other 89 counties, but hopefully not too much later. I know Mayor Cooper and the Metro Council really wanna get those businesses opened as well. Right. Uh as far as the virus concern, uh, there's some legal uh, lawsuits going on regarding the governor's uh, voucher program that uh, they're getting ready to roll out. Uh, uh, is, is the virus going to affect how that happens? Uh, are there any uh, uh, speculation about how all that's going to turn out? No, I, I've not had any conversations with the administration. I'm, I'm certainly aware of the lawsuits. By the way, the lawsuits were, were in place before COVID-19. I mean, that, that, that was already going to happen. Uh, so the, the lawsuits don't necessarily, or they weren't uh, motivated by, by the COVID-19 outbreak. And I, I don't know that they would impact the, how, they're, how they're decided. Uh, we're concerned about our schools. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, this is, we've talked about the economy, we've talked about the, the healthcare impact. Uh, well, there's an educational impact too, right? Because I mean, the, you know, I've got two teenage kids in high school and one in college, and they just, bam, you're go home. And, and we've been some distance learning and, and, and some of that kind of thing, but certainly it's been disrupted. So, um, you know, my first hope is, is that we can open schools in, in the fall. And, and whether it's using an ESA account or not using an ESA account, I think we've got a bigger issue about just making sure schools in general can, can open up. 
Um, the governor has the authority in, in the original legislation that we passed to start utilizing uh, ESAs in, in Davidson County and Shelby County. He can do that this coming year or he can wait another year. The thing that's at question is, is if he does implement them this fall, do Nashville and Shelby get the backfill money that they were going to get under the legislation? And of course that has to be appropriated. And that was in the original budget. So the, the, the conversation about whether or not to implement ESAs, well, that's already done. It's just, do they get the money to replace the, the state funding for the kids that leave to go to a private school? So we'll have that conversation. I don't want to speak for the governor, what his intentions are. Does he intend to move forward with it this fall or not? Uh, I, so I know he planned to before the, the COVID outbreak. Uh, right. He's got a lot on his plate, so I'm not sure where that one's going to fall. Right. Uh, local municipalities um, are going to have uh, some of the same or, or will have the same budget shortfalls that the state's dealing with. Um, they're, and, and I'm a little bit uh, fuzzy about the, the federal aid, the state aid that might be flowing to the cities and counties. Uh, can you sh shed a little light on that? Yeah. Um, so the state will be receiving um, quite significant amounts of money from, from the federal government. Uh, at last count, I think it was $2.3 billion, but it's specifically for COVID mitigation. Um, one of the key areas that we're concerned about, and our business community is concerned about, is our unemployment trust fund. So just so your, your viewers understand is, you know, if you own a business and you employ people, uh, you have to provide workers' compensation insurance for those employees. And you also have to pay into the unemployment uh, compensation trust fund. And that's a trust fund that, that, that the state runs and manages. And it's a fairly large amount of money that is there to pay unemployment claims for people who lose their job. Uh, and it's through no fault of their own. If you're caught stealing from your company and you get fired, well, you're not eligible for unemployment compensation. But if you get fired for no fault of your own, then you're eligible for unemployment. Well, what's happened to this trust fund? Well, obviously it has been decimated or it is being decimated because of the slide I showed you earlier about the over 400,000 unemployment claims. It's a staggering number. Right. And the way the trust fund works is once the balance drops down to a certain level, then the, the amount that employers have to pay into the trust fund starts to go up because mm -hmm. we want to make sure we have an adequate amount of money in there. So under current law, with our trust fund having been decimated with all these unemployment claims and money's going out like crazy, that balance is dropping. Well, under law, that's going to trigger an increase in what employers have to pay into the fund. The last thing in the world we want for these businesses that are struggling and trying to get open and keep their people employed is to give them a tax increase. Right. So we are looking and talking with the federal administration and the Trump administration to see and hopefully be able to utilize some of this federal money that we're receiving to uh, replenish our unemployment compensation fund. There are other tools we have and what we'll look at when we get back into session is possibly changing the law due to these extraordinary circumstances to perhaps delay those increases and, and premiums that these employers have to pay in so that they don't get hit with that on top of everything else they're, they're struggling with. That's one area um, where we're hoping to be able to use those federal funds. I think you're asking specifically about uh, being able to uh, 
for, for some of that money to go down to state and local governments. I mean, rather county and local governments. And, right. and I don't know what that's going to look like. We appropriated 200 million uh, for direct assistance to local and uh, county governments in our in our emergency budget. We may look at increasing that, but clearly our cities and counties are going to be struggling just like the, the state is. One distinction is, of course, we don't have a statewide property tax. And of course, local governments assessing property taxes, that that revenue should remain, you know, hopefully pretty consistent. They do rely on sales tax revenue to varying degrees, cities and counties do, and that's certainly going to be impacted. So, um, yeah, it's a great question. And uh, we're obviously it's a partnership. We're going to work together and, and hopefully uh, make our uh, cities and counties uh, get through this a little better. Certainly. Uh bigger problem for counties like uh, cities and counties like Franklin and Brentwood and Williamson County where there's a, a, a major retail base and uh, hopefully the smaller counties that uh, don't depend as much on uh, uh, sales tax will uh, be in a little better a better shape. The uh, hospitals uh, have taken a pretty bad hit uh, because they haven't been able to do elective surgeries and uh, frankly, people have just been afraid to go to the hospitals for almost anything uh, for fear of uh, contacting the, uh, someone with uh, coronavirus. What, uh, is there any plans to try to make these hospitals whole, any, any financial aid there? Yes, there's conversations. I, I can't make any promises right now, both at the federal and the state level, um, similar to, uh, to, to businesses that, that have been, been hurt by this through no fault of their own. I mean, it's, it's like a, a business that was doing fine. The government comes in and tells you you have to close your doors. So, so your, your, your business suffers not because you didn't run a good business or mismanagement. It's just they, they shut you down. Same thing with, with hospitals. And so I do think um, there will be some assistance for, for hospitals. Um, we're looking at it from our Medicaid perspective. Um, and, and again, don't know yet, but some of this federal money that's passing down might be able to be used through Medicaid to help hospitals and healthcare providers in general. We know that there's money in there to help for COVID-related treatment, um, but but what about the business that they just lost? That you like you were talking about? Uh, it has been been devastating for them. And again, good news is is that that is resuming today with guidance and with guidelines. Uh, so things like colonoscopies, joint replacements. I don't really, con I wouldn't consider a joint replacement necessarily to be elective if, you, if you're hurting and you need a joint replace, but they did fall into that category. So I guess non-emergent care, uh, but that is resuming today. So hopefully that will get back on, on pace and, and people can get back to, to getting procedures done that they need to for quality of life and to, uh, to help those hospitals out. Great, great. Uh, one more that uh, I have heard from someone, and I can't remember where I picked up on this issue, but uh, uh, a lot of uh, people are dealing, uh, actually able to go back to work now, but their childcare is not uh, available, um, as, as I understand it. it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, childcare centers are not available, or uh, not able to go back to work right now. Uh, any suggestions, any, any ways that uh, you're seeing to mitigate uh, those issues? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a critical part of our economy, right? Because uh, people depend on childcare to be able to go to work and it's further 
uh, impeded because the schools are closed. Right. <laughs> a lot of folks work, their kids are at school and that's, and not that school is childcare, but, but you know, they, their, their kids are, are taken care of. And so with schools closed, uh, that's put an incredible burden on that. Um, again, uh, guidance and um, uh, safety precautions for those types of businesses are coming and hopefully we'll be able to open up, be able to be opened up. Um, I'm not going to speak for every business across the state, but, but as you know, the, um, uh, on the, um, the CARES Act that was passed uh, and, and also the, the mandatory paid leave uh, bill that was passed uh, early on in this, when we started shutting businesses down, uh, provided for um, paid leave. And one of, the, one of the criteria was that you have kids at home and you don't have childcare. Uh, because schools are closed. And so there is some accommodation there. That's going to be for your larger companies that, that, that are out there. Uh, not as much for the smaller mom and pops because the, the mandatory pay to leave bill only applied to companies with 50 or more employees. So for some of your larger companies, there's, there's some help there. Um, and, and by the way, I think that that pay to leave was, was not full salary, but maybe two thirds or something for, uh, for lacking childcare. But again, as we move through this and hopefully with the guidance and the safety precautions, good news is, as we know, what, what a blessing. If there's a silver lining in all this, it, it appears that this virus uh, does not affect younger folks as much. There have been cases where, where uh, younger folks have become very ill and even died from COVID. But by and large, uh, our, our kiddos uh, and our younger, younger folks are, are uh, less susceptible to severe implications from COVID-19. So that's good news. And I know that's being taken into consideration too, relative to childcare and also schools and, and church, uh, uh, summer camps, church activities with kids, those types of things. Uh, want to keep our kids safe, but uh, good news is they're less susceptible. Believe it or not, that uh, that's all I had on my list, and we're about out of time, Jack. Uh, certainly uh, just thankful that we've got uh, the Senate Majority Leader and a member of this uh, economic recovery team right here in uh, Williamson County and uh, representing us, and uh, appreciate the time that you've made available to uh, help us understand all these issues that are so new and so different than anything we've uh, ever had to deal with. Uh, uh, just tell me, uh, I forgot to ask you earlier on, but where are you this morning? <laughs> well, I'm actually uh, doing some essential travel uh, relative to, uh, to my business in a very safe way. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm traveling in my uh, recreational vehicle and uh, uh, so socially distancing and, and that type of thing. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting in a uh, Starbucks parking lot in Texarkana, Texas at, at the moment. So, uh, but we'll be back soon. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's the new normal, right? We're, we're doing it. Before we wrap up, Dave, let me say uh, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this and, and giving me the opportunity to give what some insight that I have. Uh, but I also want to thank the chamber, Matt and Kel, everybody. Uh, they've done such a great job in terms of making resources available to people, information. And we've got a chamber that we can really be proud of, all the folks at Williamson Inc. And obviously our local folks too, great working relationship with Rogers Anderson, our county mayor, our city mayors. And uh, it's a team effort. We're going through unprecedented times, but the good news is we're, we're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, I'm available if anybody watching uh, has questions about unemployment uh, compensation claims, anything else. 
uh, don't hesitate to call, call me, uh, contact my office. You can email me as well. We'll do our best to get you an answer and get your situation resolved. So really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to do this, Dave. You're a great resource, Jack. And, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll just make a political statement here, but you're a great state senator and we <laughs> appreciate having you. Well, thank uh, you. Thanks. I'll echo what Jack said. Our staff is uh, is incredible, and uh, Kel McDowell uh, and Griffin uh, Wilcoxon have, have been on this uh, show. Abby Bass is behind the scenes making sure the Zoom works, and uh, Matt's, uh, Matt Largen is uh, heading that team up and uh, doing a great job, and uh, Nancy Conway over there to feed me uh, various bits of interesting information from out in the community. It's uh, it's a team effort and we appreciate them. Uh, and put in a plug here for Vanderbilt and AT&T. They do help in a financial way to make sure uh, we can cover all the, the expenses that go into putting this on. Uh, Creed Henderson over at WCTV uh, does an amazing job making us look good. And Tom Lawrence and WAKM, we really appreciate your uh, uh, getting us out into the community. Uh, look forward to being back at the end of uh, this, or excuse me, yeah, end of May with our full legislative delegation on the last Friday of the month. Uh, I'll double check that date. And we'll publicize that uh, uh, closer to time, but I uh, look forward to having you back then, Jack, and uh, along with the uh, other members of our legislative delegation. Thank you very much. Y'all have a good day. Mm -hmm.